So, um, session one, what did we talk about last week? Making disciples, <laughs> yes. Uh, in a bit more detail than that? What, did we, what were we actually concentrating on last week? Ah, well, that was good. That was one of the focuses. Yes, thank you, Eve. And we actually had our meeting on Wednesday morning. Thank you, that's a good prompt. We had our meeting on Wednesday morning, which was well attended, and we will go out. That's the royal we. Uh, Whoever wants to will go out and do street evangelism for the first time on the 24th of July, whilst some will stay behind and pray for whoever has gone out. If you want to be involved in that... um, you know, well, pray about it and see if the Lord prods you to be involved in that. I think it would be a wonderful ministry. I'm really excited about it. And um, it will probably happen once a month from here. Um, yeah, so what else did we talk about? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that was Tuesday. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, why do you think we started with that? I mean, what what would be important about us knowing that? They can get to heaven. And also, some Christians think that. So there's, because actually, it's a very difficult concept to imagine the people we love or or just the people we know that have led generally good lives, it's very difficult to imagine them going to hell. That's a, that's a difficult concept. And so if we're not clear about it, and clear about the fact that only Jesus will take us to heaven, then we are going to find that it's not imperative for us to preach the gospel. Why would you preach a gospel? Why would you talk about the grace of God in Jesus if you think that it's possible to go another way or you don't quite agree? And, and I think it's very, as I say, it's extremely difficult to imagine what it will be like in this place that is called hell in Scripture. What will it be like? How will it be? It's extremely difficult to imagine. And the longer you go on with the Lord, actually, the more difficult. Because you have two things happening when you go on with the Lord. Your heart is being softened. And you are becoming more and more loving because he is loving and he is love. And so what happens is you start to have this huge love for people and at the same time, the the growing knowledge that only Jesus can save them. So it becomes imperative because you love them and even though you don't understand necessarily everything about heaven and hell and all the how that's all going to work, you still have this love and this need to preach the gospel. And I would say if you don't find this need to preach the gospel, it's probably because you are not yet experiencing the fullness of the love of God in your life. Because if you're loving as Christ loved, he came to die. He came to be the gospel message. He is the gospel. And so he understood fully that if he didn't die, no one would ever get back to God. And so for him, it was a clear-cut choice. This is the way to God. Therefore, I must die. And I must endure the sort of death that he did endure to take upon himself all of our rebellion and all of our sin and everything else. So uh, I think it's really important for us to understand why we're we're preaching the gospel. Why would you do that? And also at the same time to understand that every single person is responsible to believe. That that we will all stand before God and he will all of... Not believers, once you believe, not. But every unbeliever will stand before God and God will say, what did you do with the knowledge I gave you? The knowledge in creation, the knowledge inside of you, the knowledge that I chose a nation, and the knowledge of of the gospel of Jesus. So we'll all be held accountable for what we don't receive, what we don't believe. Now, that's just 
that just means that we should all of us be doing, as we looked at in 1 Corinthians, or actually it was in 2 Corinthians, sorry, examine yourself and see if you are truly in the faith. That's 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Paul's saying that. Examine yourself to see if you are truly in the faith because it matters because being in the faith is the only way to God. So we looked last time at this great commission, Matthew 28, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So um, Christ has commanded the church to make the gospel known to all people. It is a commission and a command, an instruction and a ministry. That flies, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want the door open? Because there's loads of flies in here. Is that okay? Sorry, everybody's, I've, I've interrupted my train of thoughts. Yeah, okay. So it is a commission and a command, and we are instructed to make the gospel known to all people. Um, go therefore as you are going make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit notice all the nations not all people there's you know the words are specific go therefore and make disciples of all the nations now obviously that's people within the nations but the command is to take the gospel to all the nations, all the tribes, all the ethnic groups of the world. And Revelation will follow that up with the fact that before the throne of God, I think it's Revelation 7, there were men from every tongue and every tribe and every people praising God because they have heard the gospel and received the gospel and believed. So that's the commission. And last week we looked at Romans 10 and we took those verses in Romans 10, uh, verse 8 to 15, and we, we spoke them backwards. So can we just go there uh, for a minute briefly? Romans 8, sorry, Romans 10, verse 8 to 15. Um, And let's just take them backwards, if we can. Might be a bit tricky, but we'll do our best. Romans 8, uh, 10, verse 8 to 15. So starting in verse 15, how will they preach unless they are sent? Um... Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So the first thing is, Jesus is uh, God, God is saying through Paul, how will they preach unless they are sent? So what has Jesus done? Sent us. He sent us. So we have been sent with this gospel message. We saw it in Matthew 28. Jesus has told us to go and make disciples. And then the line before that is, and how will they hear without a preacher. A preacher just means a proclaimer, someone who shares the truth. It doesn't mean a preacher as we know it in a church. It's just someone who shares the truth. So how will they hear without a preacher? How has Jesus, who's the one who sent us, enabled us to be able to preach or share the gospel? How has he done that? How will they preach? How will they hear without a preacher? So they've got to hear the gospel, and that's going to come through a human mouth. So how has he enabled the gospel to be spoken through the Holy Spirit and the Word? So he has written down this whole book for us. Um, He's written down the words of the gospel and the words of of his own words, and he is now telling us to share those words. He sent us to share them. And how will they call on him? Oh, sorry, before that, how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? So he's sending, sending us with a gospel message that he is is uh, evidencing to us through his word and through the Holy Spirit. And he is telling us that people will not believe in me, in Jesus, if they have not heard about me. So actually, it's pretty clear. They need to hear the gospel in order to believe the gospel. And the most normal way for them to hear the gospel is for someone to speak it. And before that, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So 
someone is sent, someone, you know, you're sent with this message, you're preaching this message, someone hears this message, and they then choose to either believe it or not to believe it. But if no one tells them, they can't believe. Go ahead. Yes. Exactly, that's the statement just before this. So this is the reality. Everyone who calls on Jesus because you preach the gospel to them will be saved. Will be saved. So who is this putting the responsibility for salvation? Whose hands is this in? Ours. It's in our hands. So now start to think... Well, not the responsibility maybe to save them itself, but to preach a gospel that will enable them to be saved. That responsibility has been given to the church. Jesus gave it to the church. Paul is confirming this here in Romans, that how will they hear unless someone preaches, and how will they preach if they're not sent? And, and we know that we've been sent, we've been given the message. So now it is our responsibility to preach the gospel. Now, Paul will say in Acts chapter um, uh, 20, no, when he goes to Ephesus and he's just leaving them in Ephesus. Let me just find it. Acts uh, 17, I think it is. Let me have a look. Um, is it 17? No, is it um, 19? Thank you. Yeah, I think it is. Um, yeah, no, Paul at Ephesus, no, 20, sorry, 20. Um, yeah, sorry, Paul in Macedonia, but he's on his way somewhere else and he calls together all the elders to Miletus from Ephesus and he tells them, he knows he's on his way to, to uh, Rome and that bonds and um, uh, 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 imprisonment awaits him and what he says here is really interesting because in verse 24 I talked about it last week but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God that's his understanding of his ministry is to testify to this gospel that is the power of God unto salvation but go down to verse um, 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So included in the gospel message is not just the words of how you come to Jesus or the fact of who he is. Including in the gospel message is all the teaching of Christianity. So now think about your commission. Go and make disciples. So what does it mean to make disciples? Yes, it, so in, in stages you could call it, couldn't you really? What's your first stage? What would be the first thing you'd want to tell someone? Go and make disciples. What would be the first thing you'd want to tell them? They need a saviour. You need a saviour and his name is Jesus and he came and he did this and he did that and he is offering you salvation. So now that's the first thing. What will happen when you give the gospel message? Exactly. They'll be interested or they won't. So who um, you're not responsible for that interest. You're only responsible to preach. But for the people who are interested, what's the next thing? So let's say that someone believes. They put their trust in the Lord Jesus. What's the next thing that you might think of doing? According to the commission of Jesus and... and you want to, yeah, you want to walk with them, disciple them. You want to walk with them and help them to see what does it mean to be a Christian? How does a Christian live? What does a Christian think? Because we don't automatically know it. So it's important that making disciples is not just giving the gospel as we understand it, but it is also continuing with people. Now, how is that witnessed to in, in the life of the New Testament, in the gospel messages. What do you see Jesus doing and the other, and his disciples? What were they doing? He was discipling them and they were, by example, and what was he teaching them? Just the fact that he was going to die and be raised up? I mean, of course, the whole thing, the whole council. Yes, he was teaching about how you live as a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? In John 13, 14, 15, 16, we've looked at those many times. 
what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it look like to be a Christian? You tell me. What does a Christian look like? I mean, apart from being beautiful and handsome and, <laughs> and all of those things. What do, what do they look like? Yeah, I like Jesus, but what is that specifically? Joyful. joyful. A Christian is joyful. What else? I mean, was, how was Jesus? What did he look like? And how did he live? How did he behave? I don't mean physically what did he look like, but what, what was his manner? How, how was he? He served people. The Son of Man came to serve. That's why he says. He was passionate and he was compassionate. But it was both things. And, he was, and what did he say he did? I only do what I see, what I hear the Father, or what I see the Father doing, and I only speak what I hear the Father say. So now, if you want a role model of how to make disciples, you just have to read the Gospels. And Jesus will tell you, whoever wants to be great among you must be the least. Whoever wants to be my disciple must wash feet. Whoever wants to be served must serve. It's like, it's so plain in the, in the gospel messages, particularly. Apart from the, the letters in the New Testament, it is so plain. So when you see that, um, it, as you see, you take Jesus' teaching and you move into Acts and the start of the church, what do you see the disciples doing? Those things. You see them doing those things. And all the time you're hearing, having just been filled with the Spirit, having just been filled with the Spirit, having just been filled with the Spirit. So this understanding is being driven into us that as without the Holy Spirit you can do nothing, but God won't leave you without the Holy Spirit. He will give you the Holy Spirit as you ask for him. And so you don't have to get far into Acts, Acts chapter 4, and you see when Peter and John are arrested and then released, they go back to their own companions, verse 23, and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. This is Acts chapter 4. And when they heard this, so this is, they're reporting the fact that they've been imprisoned, that they've been told not to speak about Jesus, that they've been told not to go out with the gospel and make disciples. And what they do is when they heard it, their companions, they all lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, Oh Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David your servant said, and then carry on. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And what do they pray? And now, Lord, take note of their threats and get me out of here. Take note of their threats and make it easy. But no, and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. Verse, chapter 4, verse 23 down. I missed a few verses, but down to um, uh, verse 30. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So I'm not suggesting that our lives will look exactly like those early disciples, but our attitude has to be like theirs because their attitude was like Christ. As far as Christ was concerned, he only wanted to do what he was there to do. He only wanted to do his Father's will, speak his Father's words. And what you see in Acts is the continuation of that. Luke chapter 1 begins with uh, Luke writing the Gospel of Luke, saying, I've investigated all of this about this Jesus. He's writing to Theophilus, and he's put it into an orderly account so you can actually chronologically take Jesus' life through the Gospel of Luke. And he's put it into an orderly account to talk about what Jesus began to do and teach. And he actually uses those words. And then in Acts chapter 1, he picks it up again and he writes to the same man and he says, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So it's like Luke's gospel is about all that Jesus did and taught. And Acts, written again by Luke, is about all that he continued to do through the disciples. So now, what, what I think that we're being shown is 
if we are disciples of, of Jesus, he is at work through us, continuing. So we don't stop because it's all finished. We're carrying on his work. Now, who are we going to be listening to? He said he only did what he saw the Father do, and he only said what he heard the Father say. So it makes sense now, if we're his disciples, what are we going to do? The same. We're only going to do what we hear God say, and we're only going to say, we're only going to, you know what I mean, we're only going to do and speak what we hear God speak and see him do. What do you mean by that, Mike? Um, good question. Yes. Um, a changed life. Yes. A, uh, a changed mind. Yes. A changed attitude. Yes. Everything yes. From what you were. Yes. What you are in yes. So when do you stop? being that person. No, so that's what I'm saying. So we can't wait until we're holy. That's really where I wanted to get to. It is a progression, and we are to be like that. You're absolutely right. We are being transformed as we go along. But my, uh, what I think we're shown in Acts is they didn't wait to be holy. They knew they were holy in Christ because they knew that God lived within them. And they trusted their own transformation to the work of God within them, uh, and they're going along with it, obviously. They had to concur. But it didn't, they didn't wait until they were good enough or holy enough or right enough to go out and make disciples. They understood that, that being a disciple or making disciples just comes naturally out of me being a disciple. And so how, as what Peter and John say, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. I can't stop talking about Jesus. I can't stop wanting to be like Jesus. I'm a long way from him, but I can't stop wanting that. And it's that desire that was in them and that is in us, isn't it? That desire. And that is absolutely incontrovertible proof that you are a believer. Because you find in yourself this desire to go on with God. And although you, you, you know you take one step forward and six steps back sometimes, you well, you know, <laughs> I was being kind, John. But you know that you want to go on and you trust that he will take you on. So now think about that in terms of making disciples. Sorry, Mike, just one second. Think about that in terms of making disciples. If you really truly have that desire... And you know really truly that Jesus said, make disciples. What is the desire of your heart? I mean, it's an easy thing to look at your heart and say, do I want to make disciples? Do I really? Am I really bothered about talking to anyone about Jesus? You can't behave like that, though, in your heart, can you? No, but that's what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit is Correct. But Paul had to say to the Corinthians, who he's writing to, he had to say, test yourselves to see if you are really in the faith. Because people really in the faith can't stop talking about what they have seen and heard. Now, I don't mean incessantly talking like I do on Tuesday nights. I mean just can't stop in their, in their natural everyday life. It's not a question of... You know, well, it's, it's, it's really that Jesus is just so close. No, exactly. Although sometimes, I, I hesitated to say that, Anne, because sometimes it's a bit difficult and you're, the situation makes it difficult and you're kind of, how am I going to get him in here? You know? um, so I'm not trying to say it's easy, but what I'm saying, the desire is always there. And, and that's really the people that Jesus is talking to. He's not talking to people who don't know him. He's talking to people who do. And he's saying, take what you know about me and tell someone else. That's what it is. Just take what you know and tell someone else. That's making disciples. And then move on. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. No, no, no don't think so. Mm. I was just adding to that by saying, and that's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Mm. Um, I've just come from a weekend with Christian Vision for Men. 96 people get their lives to Christ oh, yeah. the weekend, right. 2,000 plus men there, mm. and I'm, I, not because of 
spoke to uh, 49 people while I was there, met mm. and shared Christ mm. with them mm. in whichever way they've had mm. to Christ. Yeah. Mm. And it was great joy. Yeah, of course. Of course, wonderful joy, wonderful. And wonderful to me, so wonderful, that 96 men went on that conference who then put their trust in Jesus, who almost certainly would have thought they already trusted Jesus. Yes. That's it. So it's, yeah, so all I'm saying is we can't spend a lot of time deciding and where will we go and what will we do and how will we do it. What I think we're being called to in the scriptures is to know God for ourselves, to know Jesus for ourselves, to really know him through his word and by his spirit. So to be praying, to be fellowshipping what we're doing, to, to be studying the word, to be getting to know Jesus so that talking about him is the same as talking about your best friend or your parents, or your husband, or your wife, or your children. Well, you know, if you like them, you know what I mean. <laughs> if, if you're in a good mood that day. No, seriously, but to talk about the person you love the most. You know, it, and that's what Jesus is calling to us to. He's calling us to a life of talking about the person we love the most. Well, you won't talk about him if you don't love him. Why would you? It will just be a duty and a burden. So Paul, um, talking about he didn't shrink back from, I read it in Acts 20, I was a bit early because it's only now on my notes, just um, talking about he didn't shrink from sharing the whole purpose of God. And so what is, what is it that Paul shared? Because you know, when, when he went out and made disciples... He was sharing, he says, from the whole purpose of God. So he was speaking the, the gospel. What is the gospel? Pure and simple. What is the gospel? It's good news. Power of God unto salvation. But what is the gospel message? What would you say to someone? Just imagine someone sat there and they were bound to the chair. And they had to listen. What would, you, what would be the gospel that you preach to them? He was, but he hadn't yet died. So what, what do we say about the gospel? Yes, yes. So when they say, I, I, what do you mean sins? Because we live in a world that doesn't know sin. So what will you say to that? So, so the essential foundational truth is mankind is in rebellion against God. It has turned its back on God. All of us, we all turned our back on God. We saw that last week in Romans. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have turned away. So mankind is in rebellion against God. You may not know it because you may not feel in rebellion against God. I don't think I knew it. I didn't know that. I knew I was a sinner because I did loads of stuff wrong. But I didn't know that the fundamental area of I was, my state of being was rebellion. I didn't know that or understand it. So when the gospel comes... It's not so much individual sins that we can talk to people about because they just come back with, well, Christians are worse than anybody else. Can I, can I just emphasize that? I, uh, a chap from the gas board came to service my... No, this is, this is yeah, no, no, I'm... Terrible indictment. Yeah. He came to service my 96-year-old auntie's uh, boy, a um, new one, and I, I was there to keep her company. Mm. And, I, and I was talking to him last year when he was there because he was going through divorce, this year he's now remarrying, and we talked some more, and I shared the gospel with him as well. He is a Christian of a sort, and he said, um, he was reluctant to say it, but he said the worst homes that he goes into are Christians. He said they may be watching the God Channel, they have plaques on the walls and everything, and he said, and they just, they, they, you know, because I offered him a cup of tea, he said he doesn't get it off of that, not even a glass. He was asked at a vicar's house, he said, Oh, could I have a glass of water? And she said, yes, the pipe's outside. The, the tap's outside. I mean, that's what I mean, it's done that every way, but I mean, it was just shocking to yeah. me. So yeah. where, where did it leave me? Yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah, look at Jesus, yeah. always find their things in us. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. say this and say, look, guys, don't yeah. let it happen in your house. <laughs> yeah, all. yeah. yeah. Mm. 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 Well, unbelief, God calls unbelief rebellion. 
Yeah, because what he's saying is he's made himself evident. So, so it, he doesn't, I mean, it, all the way through scripture from the beginning to the end, he calls unbelief disobedience or rebellion. Um, in Hebrews 4, it's really clear because he'll say that they weren't able to enter because of their unbelief. And just sec sentences before, he talks about their disobedience. So they're synonymous. So uh, I'm calling it a rebellion, but you could say disobedience, whatever. But it's definitely that from the beginning, mankind decided, um, or Adam and Eve decided, mankind decided that they wanted to be their own God. And you see that really clearly as you go through Genesis it's just so clear they wanted to be their own God and they wanted to have the rule and control of their lives they wanted to be the ones who decided what was right and what was wrong and they wanted to be the ones who decided you know um, which way should I go which yeah and, and they wanted this they had huge pride yes they get they get off the ark after just a few uh, generations they're trying to build the Tower of Babel to get make our way up to heaven there's this real clear picture of pride and and this rebellion god told them to go all over the world and they decided to stay in one place in babylon so it's just endless endless rebellion and disobedience so the actual state of man is a state of rebellion so it's not a question of what you do in that rebellion it's that you're in it and so i could come along to you and there are many religions that come along to you and say right if you keep this set of rules, if you are a moral, ethical, good person, then you'll be okay. But they never address the underlying problem, which is I am estranged from God because I am part of a human race that has rebelled against him. And there are still remnants of it in me. And honestly, there are still remnants of it in me personally. This rebellion, this decision that I know best, that I should choose my own destiny, that I'm the one who says this is right and this is wrong. There's still that in me. There's still pride in me. There's still, well, I deserve that. Exactly, exactly. No. Exactly. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Now, when, 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 so when Paul talks about not, shr not shrinking back for, not declaring to you the whole purpose of God, he's, in, he's involving from Genesis onwards in that. Basically, he's, what he's trying to say is, look at our ancestors. <laughs> look at Adam and Eve. Look at the start of humanity and see the rebellion of it. And then take that along and then see God chew, you know, make an ark. I mean, we talked about that this morning and I mean, the, the pictures that God has given us through Scripture of the salvation that would be revealed in Jesus are astounding. He takes one man and he builds an ark, and, and Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and he's calling to people, calling to people. 120 years, they think, it took him to build this ark. 120 years. Well, he was on his own, wasn't he? There wasn't much help around. His, his three sons, you know, and their wives... Yeah, so, so it's, it, that's what people think. That makes sense of my spirit will not strive with man beyond 120 years. That's what God says. So there's this idea in there that God is, you know, he looks at the wickedness of man, the rebellion of men, and he says, I can't continue with this any longer. I'm going to judge this world. Noah, I'm gonna, you build this ark. Build it to these dimensions, this height, this way. Build that ark. And, be, and he doesn't actually say it in Genesis, but in... Um, Second Peter, we read it, he was the preacher of righteousness. So as he's building, Noah's saying, get on the ark, judgment is coming to a people who haven't seen rain. It's not rained yet on earth. So you can understand he's preaching about something they haven't seen. Yeah, up and down. But he, they haven't seen it. And they can't, won't believe it because their state of rebellion is huge. So he's, built, he's building and building and building and calling and calling and calling and saying the only way to avoid this judgment is to get on the ark. And no one gets on. That's the picture of God in Christ. Judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. Get on the ark. His name is Jesus. Get on. Get on the ark and be saved. 
be saved. Everyone inside that ark will be saved. If you are not in that ark, you will not be saved. You are going to a terrible destruction. Now, not like the flood, obviously, but, but whatever it is and whatever it's like, it's not going to be as good as being on the ark. That's what he's saying, exactly. But what I mean is, even though we can't picture it almost, and we can't quite imagine it, and we can't work out exactly why, God is calling us every day, get on the ark, get on the ark, get on the ark. And he's doing that through the gospel message. So Paul is preaching about this rebellion, the whole purpose of God. The whole purpose of God from the beginning was to call humans back to him. That is his purpose. Why did he make himself evident in creation? So you would see him and know that he exists. Why did he put the knowledge of himself inside man? So you would know him and know that he exists. Why did he make the ark? So that we would see that there is a way that he will provide to get us out of the mess we're in. Why did he make a nation out of one man? Why did he, why did he make the nation of Israel? Why? I have to ask you a question, otherwise you'll go to sleep. Why did he make a nation of Israel? Where his name will dwell, yeah. And for his glory. Yeah, for his glory. He wanted to make a nation that would witness to the fact of his existence. And not just the fact of his existence, but they would know this is a holy, holy, holy God. And that he... He saves those who put their trust in him. How would he save the Israelites? By giving them a whole load of feasts and ceremonies that they could undertake, sacrifices that they could make because they hadn't lived the way he wanted them to. So the whole of his work from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament is the work of redemption. It's the work of redemption. This is the way to come to me, but you have to come my way. You have to come my way. Old Testament way was to become a Jew and to do what they did to, to be uh, with God. So all the way from Genesis, all the way through, and then you get the prophets all proclaiming, we've got this law and we've got this God and he is going to send, he's going to send a Messiah and he's going to save us. And all the way through, this is the whole purpose of God and it's all about calling us to him. It's all about... His forgiveness, don't you want it? His salvation, his deliverance, don't you want it? Get on the ark. And then, what does John say, John the Baptist? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. So on and on and on and on, all the way through the Bible, we are being presented with a God who loves the world beyond anything we could imagine who loves every single person in it beyond anything we could ever feel or think, who has just worked from the beginning all the way through, all the way through time, calling to people, calling to people, come to me, come to me. But in order to get to me, you must come the way I provide. And I have provided the Lord Jesus. He is the way. So now, why am I saying all of this? Why is all of this important? Because it's really important for us to know that he is a God of redemption. He is a God of mercy and a God of grace. And it has always been the same. Even from Genesis, even through all the Old Testament, people say to me, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I only like the God of the New Testament. I just think, oh my goodness, you know, this God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And he has always been gracious and always been merciful. And all he's asking us to do is to look at ourselves with clear, open eyes and say, I don't deserve this God loving me. I don't. And I can tell you categorically now, after 24 years of knowing this God, I still don't deserve him. And actually, I never will. And that's grace. That's what grace is. But you only understand the enormity of the grace of God when you start to understand the enormity of your rebellion. You were a rebellious person. You didn't know it, but you were rebellious because you refused to accept that God is God and you are not. So 
So now, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And when you're filled with fear because you can't, that fills you with fear because you think, how am I going to do that? What is his next statement in Matthew 28? How are you going to be able... Sorry, I've got cramp in my toes. How are you going to be able to uh, make disciples and teach them everything I commanded you? What's his next statement in Matthew 28? Sorry, I'm flipping about a bit. Matthew 28, verse... What does he say? And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. This is not something you can do on your own. This is not something you'd even want to do on your own. This is something you only do because you know that you know that you know that Jesus is with you. And that he, by his spirit, is asking you and and calling you and, and urging you and entreating you to go on with him. And as I said, I think I said last week, if Jesus is asking us to do this, commissioning us, commanding us, you can know up front this will fill you with joy unimaginable. You, this will be one of the great joys of your life, to talk about Jesus, to bring people to him, and then to take them on in him. I, honestly, I, you know, I don't do anything better <laughs> than this. This is the best thing I do. It's the best thing I've ever done. And I've had a, you know, an interesting life. But this is the best thing by far that I have ever done. Because it's, it has meaning and purpose. And, and yes. And nothing. Nothing. And that's what Paul says, isn't it? Nothing compares. Nothing compares. So, it's... In order to disciple people, we have to be disciples. We have to know that we are believers in the Lord Jesus. We have trusted him because there's no, we can't get to, to God without him. We, we, we have to be going along with his transforming work because God won't make you a believer. You have to choose to put your trust in Christ. He won't just make you do it. And after you have put your trust in Christ, he won't make you go along with his transforming work. And that answers a lot of questions when you start to look at the professing church and you see people who seem never to have grown even an, an inch since they were first a believer. Now, you know, some, either they didn't believe and they, therefore they didn't receive the Holy Spirit, they just think they did, or, or maybe they, they just, I don't know what happened, I can't imagine it. Or, more likely, they've just got this far with God and they've said, you know, this far and no further. You know, I'm, I'm not going any further because this is too hard. And they're believing the deception from their own personality, their own mind, and also from the enemy who says, you can't do it and it'll be too hard and you won't enjoy it and it's much more fun to not do those things. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Praise God for that. Well, praise God and thank you. Yes. Well, that's what I mean. That's what we do. We get to a certain place and we say, actually, I don't think I want to go there. It is a challenge to go there and it is a bit hard. That looks a bit difficult for me. And so I think that's the reason why a lot of Christians don't go on. Um, And I think, too, Anne, whether inspiring or not, I think if nobody tells you God will speak to you through the word of God, (laughs) how will you ever know and why would you ever open it? Yeah. That's it. I mean, yes. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Depends how long you're going to take beside him, but carry on. Mm, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. 
And of course, to ask the Holy Spirit how you're going to speak and, and to not be so gung-ho with judgment and hellfire and damnation. I think I said last week, we don't live in times like that anymore. Spurgeon's sermons are wonderful, but w people don't understand sin. They don't understand what that is. There's such chaos and confusion that they don't know what that is. And so to go alongside and talk about, you know, you're a sinner and you're going straight to hell. And, you know, it's like, they'd, well, they'd think you were a lunatic. So, yeah. So I, I think we, we have to be wise. Yeah. Innocent as doves. So what is it? And wise as serpents. We have to be wise. Um, so we said last week, you don't actually technically become a Christian. You become a follower of Christ. That's what happens. You are a follower of Christ. And all, what Christ is asking us to do is to make more followers. Just to make more followers. So... Um, and I think I said, I, I did say last week, that if you ask people to tick the box, are you a Christian? You'd have lots of people in this country ticking the box that says Christian. But if you put the name in the box, are you a follower of Jesus? You'd have far less people ticking that box. And yet it's only as a follower of Jesus that you are assured of salvation. You have to be a follower of Jesus. Um, if you're still on the throne of your life, if there has been no surrender... Because in those uh, verses in chapter 10 of Romans, we didn't read the preceding verses, which are, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But you have to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. That means you're saying he is master. His will is more important than mine. Now, do you understand that all at the beginning? Probably not. I didn't understand that. I didn't know that's really what I was saying when I said I want to be a Christian. I just saw something and in the Word and, and that was presented to me, and I knew I wanted that. So it wasn't until as I went on with the Lord, I understood more and more about the fact that I had to surrender to Him and, and all of those wonderful Christian words that um, we now know. Um, but there has to be that happening. There has to be that progression. There has to be that uh, understanding more and more of the fact that I must surrender. Yeah, go ahead. What do you mean advantage, Alan? In what way? Well, I had about three over the year. And I think it's given me some teaching that Um, other preachers. It got to parts where other preachers haven't got to. Okay, let me make sure I'm understanding you before I try to answer it. Are you saying that Jesus gave you information that he didn't give other people? Okay. I would say that is not possible, according to Scripture. Are you saying you've had an experience of his love and his grace and his mercy that maybe somebody else hasn't had? I definitely believe that's possible. And yes, I believe that is a great blessing if you have that experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, but to have knowledge that is not written down in here, I would say that's impossible. But, yeah, but the depth of knowing that, you know, he does take us into greater depths, I think, of knowing certain things about him. And that's a blessing, of course. That's a blessing. Yeah, that's a blessing. To be shared with other people. That's why he gave it to you, to share. For your own encouragement, but also to share with other people. Um, and yeah, I do think that's... And I think sometimes God does that because we need that extra bit of a push. Do you know, we need that extra encouragement and inspiration to go on because we've reached a kind of 
stalemate in our lives and, or a, a low point and we don't know where to go with things. So he does give us those experiences, I think. Yeah. Um, I've told you many times, you know, for me, I think God was so gracious to me because, you know, with, being, with drinking for so long, 10 years, and knowing as a Christian that I shouldn't do that and having journals filled with repentance and confession and still drinking the next day or the next week or whatever it was, you know, I think that the fact that God said to me, Anne, we cannot go on any further if you don't stop. I mean... What grace there is in that. Why did he need to say that to me? It wasn't, I won't love you anymore. It wasn't, you won't be mine anymore. It was simply, you, we can't go on any further. So to me, Alan, that was just an amazing insight into the grace and the mercy of this God who would not only continue with me from the beginning of my salvation all through those years, but who would actually say to me the ramifications of me digging my heels in and not doing what he wanted me to do. And I mean, that's just grace, isn't it? I mean, the love of God is just amazing to me. And so that wasn't perhaps, the, I'm sure it's a million miles from your experience, but it was a real experience for me that really in, encouraged me and, and opened up for me the grace of God. And um, so yes, yes, I think he does that and it's wonderful when he does. Um, okay, so... Um, I just want to make sure, really, before we go on to all the individual ways that we might give the gospel, make disciples, all of those things, that we really are understanding what it means to be a Christian, what it feels like to be a Christian, what we know about being a Christian, so that when we go out and try to make other believers, other disciples, we understand what we're passing on. So, okay, over to you then. Um, Tell me what you would say to a person that you met in Boots the Chemist on um, Tuesday afternoon. What would you say to that person? Okay, you're talking to the checkout girl in Tesco's or in Boots, as I say, just talking to someone. And, and you notice, I don't know, you notice something about them. You just notice tears in their eyes or you notice that they look a bit down or you notice something. What are you actually going to say to them? I'm not putting you on the spot. I just and it doesn't. I don't necessarily think that's important. The actual words in the sentence, but it is important how we portray Jesus and what we say. Yeah. Yes. 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 Compassion. That's the first thing. Yes. Yes. What did you say, Anne? You said something. Yes. Yes. No. Yes. 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 I think sometimes, you know, when you ask, when someone asks you that question, you just get filled with fear, don't you? Oh my goodness, what would I say? What would I say? Yeah, it does come at the time, but actually I think very often the best conversations start with you looking someone in the eye. You know, all the checkout girls and all the people in Boots, they're all trained to say, how are you? Or have a nice day or whatever. So a sim the simplest way would be, well, I'm fine, how are you? In looking in the eye. I've had people say to me, I've had a guy, a young guy on the butcher's counter in Tesco's, um, he said to me, how are you? And I said, oh, I'm really well. How are you? And he said, I've never been asked that before. <laughs> really? I just, you know, he was only young. He'd never been asked that before by a customer. And it's not that they were horrible or anything like that, but it was just... So I think there's got to be an intentional... That's what I'm talking about, intentional evangelism. There has to be an intentional decision that when I'm outside of my home where I might throw things and scream and shout and do all sorts of other things, when I'm outside... No, I'm only kidding. But when I'm outside, I am going to look people in the eye and I am going to ask them how they are. Yeah, but not because I'm going to make myself do that, but because that's what I really think. Yeah. How are you? 
And most of the time, people will either say something like that Tesco guy says, or they'll say, well, actually, I'm not very good today. Actually, I'm this or that. And whatever it may be, and then that's when the Lord is going to say, okay, you know, he's going to steer your conversation, isn't he? Mm. Go ahead, Mike. Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Because we do. We everybody says, "Yeah, fine, thanks." You know. Definitely, definitely, no set way. That's where I'm getting to with it. There's no set way. But there is a set way to, to faith. There is a set way to salvation. There is a set way, and that is through Jesus. So we have to have all that background information that we're not necessarily sharing with the person we're talking to, but because we know it's true, that if this person doesn't know Jesus, they're in a bad way. Their life is not right. They're not happy all, all the time. They're not, they don't have this. They don't have that. And mostly they have no hope. We know that. So it's that that motivates, isn't it? And it's that that says. Now, um, in order to know that they have no hope, what do you have to know? You have to know there is a hope and what the hope is and where it's found. You have to know that there's only hope in Jesus. Well, how will you know that? I mean, I know I'm beating about the bush, but I'm or not beating, but I'm beating on the same drum. But what I want to get us to is the total understanding that only Jesus saves and only through Jesus, yeah, is there any hope, joy, peace, lasting joy, lasting peace, lasting hope. Because you can have hope and joy and peace temporarily. Uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit um, uh, prepares a person. Mm. I'd like to illustrate that. I'm quick. Um, but uh, <laughs> at the mission, there was a, a, a girl there and a chap at different times signing. Oh, right. And it was so beautiful that she was illustrating what we thought was being preached. Afterwards, I said to her, would you mind if I just filmed something? And she said, well, yes, of course, on my, on my phone. <coughs> and I said, John 3.16. So I filmed her signing John 3.16, and I spoke it out as she did it. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. And bought some new phones in Curry's, if I said this to you, on Monday. And uh, the girl at the till was deaf. Huh. I mean... Could you work it No, out? you couldn't. So That's I, amazing. I, I just said, I said, so much, I said, there's so much noise in here, so you probably can't hear, because she was speaking so quietly. And, and so she said, yes, it's very noisy, etc. And um, that's, what, that's when she told you she was deaf. And then she said, because my lip, I'm stone deaf as well, and I lip read. Uh, it's wonderful. So I said, oh, I said, I've got a bit of signing on my phone. I said, would you mind telling me uh, if you can understand it? Because I know so I just flipped it round, switched mm. it on, no sound, mm. and I spoke it as I saw her. No, I copied my own sound. Right, yeah. Quiet, knowing she couldn't hear it. And she lip read yeah, what I you were saying. Mm. Now, what verse of scripture had I put on that? I know, John 3, John 16. 16. Amazing. And there was, she was having the gospel. Yeah. But... Yeah, it was an ordained or appointed, a God-appointed so meeting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do, I do. <laughs> no, good, yeah. yeah. Mm. No, I know. Absolutely, yeah, that's why we pray for opportunities. So I think actually we finished quite early, and I have to finish a bit early because this morning we took two and a half hours to talk about what we've just talked about. It was just, yeah, they were much more interesting than you. Uh. <laughs> 
No, I'm just kidding. But they went, yeah, I, well, and I was hoping we'd taped it, but we didn't. So just so much came out of these. I, I mean, I think for the first session, we, we start at 10, and we have a little break at about 11 or 10 past 11. And uh, I hadn't got off the first two paragraphs of my seven pages of notes. Honestly. So, I mean, that's how it was this morning. It was just endlessly people, you know, saying this and saying that, which was great. But, yeah, it was wonderful. But it did mean I couldn't get through to the end of the lesson, so you can't get through to the end of it because we've got to stay in sync. No, I've got to stay in sync, otherwise it all gets pear it all goes pear-shaped. Mm. Right. I'm going to have the last word. Right. <laughs> 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 we were just emptying rubbish Yeah. Found out later that he was from um, South Korea, and he had this most wonderful smile. Scientists mm. so said, "Oh, yeah, this is tedious or that sort of thing." And he's got chatting, and he said, um, "He told me about a chap called Thomas Robert, an Englishman, and he said that this man, his father was a minister in Wales, and he encouraged his son and new wife to go to South Korea. Mm. Unfortunately, they finished up in North Korea." Oh. And the, w the wife had died giving birth on the trip. And when they got there, they found some Bibles in his case and they executed him on the spot. So now you would think that would be the end of it. It's a terrible story. But uh, they took the Bibles and because it was paper, they papered their houses on right, yeah. the walls and then people eventually started reading it. Mm -hmm. and, and then, I mean, when how many thousands and thousands yeah. of believers are there in Korea yeah, today? Yes, just exactly. So it is. You, you just don't know. No, you, you don't. Do know. No. It, you know, it seemed black, mm. but it was a wonderful salvation for mm. thousands and thousands mm. of Koreans today. Mm. And he said to me, it's sad because nobody knows Thomas Robert. No, no. We do. We, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it is. That's a great story. I think somewhere down the line, I've heard that somewhere before, okay. but I know, but it's an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. I just went to him later on the stand, on the stand of world mission, I just said to him, stop smiling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that is amazing. There's a lot of Asian Christians, like their stories are like that, yeah. that it's just an incredible way that they've come yeah. to the Lord. Well, yeah. Have a look at Thomas Rock. I will. I will. Okay, so I am going to finish there, and Pete will be happy because he can get home and watch the football, and I will be too late, but I'll listen to it. What did it start at seven? Yeah, seven. Oh, the d how I'm going to do it, what, what I'm going to say. No, I think you're right. I think what I would say is there's no set way to speak the gospel. No, 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 I'm not talking about speaking Ah. For instance, I'm discipling yes. somebody at the moment, and I don't know whether you're going to suggest it is one of the ways, which is they read through a little bit of the gospel. Mm -hmm. I pray through it, because mm -hmm. they do like praying. Mm -hmm. And that's how actually they're being discipled. But I want to care about, you know, other ways, different ways yeah. of discipling people. Mm. Is that what you're going to suggest? Yes. Next time. Oh, yes. Yes, eventually, somewhere we'll get along the line to that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, if they catch up. No, uh, yes, we will be talking about that, how to do discipling. And I, th I think it's important, really, that we do it. Um, and I think you can do it in all sorts of ways. But I think it's important that we do it. That's the thing. And that we use the Bible. And that we pray. Um, so I'm going to finish. I'm sorry if it's a bit short. I'm sure, sorry if there wasn't a lot of meat in there. But, you know, now go home and read the Bible and do what you're supposed to do. Um, Father, thank you, that, um, thank you that your word is amazing. Thank you that um, we are being called to make disciples. Thank you that though that might be a scary thing for us, some of us, uh, you will enable that. And help us to see our responsibility in it, Lord, that we have been given so much. We have been given so much understanding of who you are and your word and all that you will and have done. And Lord, you've given that to us to share with other people. So help us to do that, Lord, to do it willingly, to willingly say, Lord, my life is yours. Use it for your glory. And um, 
And help us to make the most of every opportunity that you give us to speak about this wonderful gospel of grace and to declare the whole purpose of God um, and that purpose of yours, which is redemption and mercy and grace and forgiveness and overwhelming love. Help us to grow in our knowledge of that, Lord, and to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, thank you. Yes. 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 I know they are. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's Laura's group. Laura and Alex. Yeah. Laura's Peter's uh, daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. I know they're doing it. It's wonderful, and It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Praise God for it. Thank you, Anne. Yeah, that's encouraging. Thank you. So if you haven't signed up for Saturday, come along if you can. Highly esteemed, greatly loved. Um, it will be wonderful, <laughs> of course. <laughs>